Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. It is a great joy on this Transfiguration Sunday morning to welcome you to Marsh Chapel, whether you are here in person, listening live over the radio at 90.9 WBUR, over internet signals at WBUR.org, or listening later to the podcast at bu.edu slash chapel. Our hearts are particularly gladdened this morning by the third installment of our Bach Cantata series, sung by the Marsh Chapel Choir and accompanied by the Collegium, all under the direction of our music director, Dr. Scott Allen Jarrett, who will also enter into dialogue with Chapel Associate Reverend Jen Quigley at the sermon this morning. Our Dean, the Reverend Dr. Robert Allen Hill, sends his regards as he is away this week, and we look forward to his return next Sunday. Now let us stand as we are able in the praise of God.
Let us pray. O God, who before the passion of your long Son revealed his glory upon the holy mountain, grant to us that we, beholding by faith the light of his countenance, may be strengthened to bear our cross and be changed into his likeness from glory to glory. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. A lesson from the book of Kings, the second book of Kings, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? And he said, yes, I know, keep silent. Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The company of prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? And he answered, yes, I know, be silent. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the company of prophets also went and stood at some distance from them, as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his mantle and rolled it up and struck the water. The water was parted to one side and to the other, until the two of them crossed on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I may do for you before I am taken from you. Elisha said, Please, let me inherit a double share of your spirit. He responded, You have asked a hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I am being taken from you, it will be granted you. If not, it will not. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah ascended in a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha kept watching and crying out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. But when he could no longer see him, he grasped his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. The word of the Lord. Please join me in reading verses from Psalm 50 with the Antiphon. Mighty God, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, 
God shines forth. Our God comes and does not keep silent, before whom is a devouring fire, round about whom is a mighty tempest. God calls to the heavens above and to the earth that the people may be judged. Gather to me my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare God's righteousness, for God himself is judge. Please rise for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Mark, chapter 9, verses 2 through 9. Glory to you, O Lord. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice, This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ. This morning, we join the apostles. As they ascend the mountain, we climb the steps of Marsh Chapel's Gothic nave. We join Peter, James, and John. As they take some quiet time apart with Jesus, we turn up the dial on our car radio or pour a second cup of coffee in the quiet of our kitchen. We follow their gaze up the mountainside as they wonder what they will see. Our eyes, or our mind's eyes, are drawn up and up through the sanctuary from sacred places to sacred faces, and finally to the great openness of the vaulted ceiling above. 
This is Transfiguration Sunday. There is an anticipation, an excitement, and a buzzing about a vibrant church on a Sunday morning. Chatter from small groups, the rustling of robes as choristers dress, the caffeine-rich scent of coffee brewing, the rhythmic sounds of worship leaders saying a brief prayer before service begins. You will find all this and more at 735 Commonwealth Avenue any week of the year. But a few Sundays, the atmosphere has even more heightened energy. On holy days such as Christmas and Easter, of course, but also for the few Sundays annually in which the rich sounds of a Bach cantata anchor our service of praise and worship. Elisha, too, is full of energy this morning, but also anxiety. He's along his last walk with his mentor, and companies of prophets like a Greek chorus stand as signposts of the spectacle to come. Like Elisha, we have our very own company of prophets with us this morning, who with their voices and their instruments will summon us to keep watch and to perk up our ears and to hear the message that Bach brings to us today. Now, 1 Corinthians 12 says that each of us is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Some are given the gift of tongues, and others the gift of interpretation of tongues. Music is, of course, its own language. So as is our custom, we have our director of music, Dr. Scott Allen Jarrett, with us this morning to interpret for us what we are about to hear. Dr. Jarrett, what signposts will we notice this morning? Thank you, Reverend Quigley. Today's cantata is one of Bach's great musical triumphs, first performed in October of 1725 for Reformation Sunday. The opening movement depicts the triumph of the new way, that is to say, Luther's way. And uh, this window here in the nave, you'll find Luther. Um, this opening movement is the most exuberant, muscular, even militant display of counterpoint and brilliance. The opening orchestral material extending for an astonishing 45 measures before the chorus entrance introduces all of the thematic material of the movement, including a broad march and then a strictly treated three-voice fugue. The cantata features some of the most difficult horn parts in Bach's entire output, further depicting the glory of the battle won. Perhaps the most surprising element of the opening movement is the unrelenting presence of the timpani and a most extraordinary part. The timpani's rambunctious pounding calls to mind Luther's bold and precocious nailing of the 95 Thesis on the Wittenberg church door. And in addition, the two elements that presented both with the chorus and then with the orchestra underlying present a juxtaposition of old and new, before Luther, after Luther, Old Testament, New Testament, law and grace or love. In the fugal subject, we find the strictness of the law, the Old Testament, undergirding every decision that we make in life. In contrast, the boldness and the freshness of the New Testament, that of love, redemption, and grace, found in the strides of the march material, of the opening material from the strings, and from the chorus's first entrance. The chorus eventually takes up the fugue, the, te the Old Testament, the law, the gazettes, in the middle section, but then yield again at the return of the opening material to close out the movement. The second movement, today sung by Jared Pagenkopf, 
proves Bach's ability to set a similar text in a completely different fashion. The meter of the music, along with the obligato oboe, presents us with a relaxed, elegant pastoral image of God as protector. It's basically the same text as the first movement, but could not be set more differently. For the third movement, Bach seems to have recognized that in a Reformation cantata or a celebration of Luther, uh, we haven't heard any of his great hymns yet. So he turns to the famous Nun danket Gott, now thank we all our God, uh, for a four-part chorale setting in the third movement. But this is a tour de force like no other. The horns in the timpani return with their triumphant music from the first movement while everybody else doubles the chorale tune, as if to say the battle is won and we are at the heavenly banquet and a celebration feast together. After the chorale, the cantata takes the anticipated introspective turn for how we continue to fight the battle each day in our contemporary lives. Like the disciples with Jesus on the mountaintop, the baritone praises God for the revelation of truth through word and incarnation. The restative concludes with a prayer of hope for salvation from those who do not yet know God. The duet which follows introduces the only elements of doubt in the entire cantata. Here the soprano and bass lines sung by Kira Winter and Thomas Middleton cling to each other amid the threat of the darting unison violin line. Only once do they lose each other as the text depicts the harsh raging of the enemy against them. We are called to mind of the close following of Elisha to Elijah as they travel together on that final walk before Elijah is taken up in a whirlwind. Perhaps the closeness of the duet is a relation to these two prophets. Perhaps the closeness of the duet and the fragile, almost falling apart in their lines is an indication of the disciples' anxiety with Christ on the mountaintop. The cantata concludes with a standard four-part chorale setting, but the two, timpani, uh, the two horns and the timpani return to crown the movement. Though a Reformation cantata, we find resonance with today's liturgy and texts. We hear the steadfastness of the apostles at Jesus' side on the mount and the staunchness and the assurance of the opening movement. The presence of fugal material reminds us of the law of Moses and Elijah with Jesus at the top of the mountain. And the presence of the fugue with the broader homophonic music reveals the fulfillment of the prophecy as, he, as Jesus appears with the, with, with the older prophets. We detect Elisha side by side with Elijah in the duet and as we recall the Reformation story and revisit in our mind's eye a burgeoning movement toward religious freedoms, we sing again, now thank we all our God. Our convictions are transformed, transfigured, and renewed in the grace and redemption of God's love and God's might. Thank you, Dr. Jarrett. Transfiguration is not quite like the class taught at Hogwarts by Professor McGonagall. It's not about turning a cat into a teacup with the flick of a wand. Transfiguration in our gospel reveals the divine within the human, the extraordinary within the ordinary, reveals something new within the old and familiar. As in our cantata, we see the different modes of Christ, both the triumphant and the pastoral. This is not unlike our gospel today, the author of Mark, more so than his fellow gospel writers, portrays for us a down and dirty Jesus, 
This Jesus has a tendency to spit when healing. He has a strange affinity for dirt. He touches lepers, he curses out fig trees, and he falls asleep in the back of boats. But today, Mark reminds us that Jesus is also the Christ by foretelling the glory and power of the resurrection through this transfiguration scene. I think that many of our most powerful spiritual experiences are little transfigurations. We hear a familiar beloved hymn tune sung in a full chorus and orchestrated cantata. It reminds us of singing in our home churches and the new bright assurance of faith washes over us more powerfully than it first did decades ago. After three, 15, 50 years of marriage, we look across the table at our spouse and the light catches them just right. They are not as beautiful as the wedding day. They are more beautiful because we have caught a tiny glimpse of the spark of our divine creator in them. A single conversation at work or at school, and we finally see that we can make an impact. All those calluses on our minds or on our hands can change people's lives. And perhaps for the first time, we discover the intersection of our passion and the world's greatest need in our sense of vocation. We finally realize, after endless cycles of attempts and failures, that we are saved not by our obedience to the law, but by God's powerful grace. So this morning, we sit transfixed, receiving Bach's inspired gift even as he sits beside us, contemplating the same divine majesty. We will have to come back down the mountain soon enough, and then we will go back to the rhythms of our lives. But something will be different. And even though we know words will fail us, we know something will have to change. Something will have to be shared with others. Mark knows this. Mark's gospel is known for its great messianic secret. There's a rhythm to it in the gospel of Mark. Jesus does something spectacular. And then he demands it be kept secret until after the resurrection. The purpose of the messianic secret in the gospel is much debated among biblical scholars, but I always find a little Markan humor in it. Time and again, people just can't keep their mouths shut about what they have seen and heard because the news about Jesus is too good not to share. The great irony, of course, of life's transfigurative moments is that no words will ever properly describe them but they are so powerful that they demand to be shared with others. So this morning, we sit with the disciples and with Elisha and with Bach, unsure of what we're about to experience and even less sure of what we will do afterwards. But we sit transfixed and know that we are about to experience something of the divine, of the extraordinary revealed within the ordinariness of our lives. Amen.
Let us remember that Bach gave us God's word, Mozart gave us God's laughter, and Beethoven gave us God's fire. And God gave us music that we might pray without words. Let us thank Dr. Scott Ellen Jarrett and the Marsh Chapel Choir and Collegium for leading us in prayer this morning. of the Lord be always with you and also with you. We welcome you once again to the nave of Marsh Chapel and hope that you will take a moment to help us to get to know you better so that we can help you get to know one another better by putting your name and contact information in the red books found along the center aisle of each pew. Scott Jarrett and Justin Blackwell are pleased to welcome their friend and colleague Dr. Rob Fraser to the organ console today. Dr. Fraser is the director of music ministries at Myers Park Presbyterian Church an assistant conductor of the Oratorio Singers of Charlotte. He offers the prelude and the postlude in this morning's worship service. Please note, this week begins the season of Lent. Marsh will have three Ash Wednesday services. The 8.30 a.m. morning prayer service with ashes will end promptly at 8.50 8.50 a.m. so students can get to class. class, The 5 o'clock p.m. service includes communion and the 6 o'clock p.m. service is is the song service with the choir. The Reverend Jen Quigley will be running a baptism class this Lent. If you are interested in receiving the sacrament of baptism, please email Jen at jenquig at bu.edu or speak to her after the service. For all other upcoming services and activities, we would encourage you to keep an eye to the Marsh Chapel website, bu.edu chapel, where you may also find the opportunity for online giving. Now walk in love as Christ loves us and offering and sacrifice to God.
divine creator, ever constant presence, bless these gifts and their givers to your service, we pray in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. As you go forth from this place, do not keep secret the good news you have heard. Go forth in peace and share it with the world. Amen. <laughs>